0: Welcome to the Master Passive Income Show. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I'm here to help you learn how to quit that J-O-B, that just over broke job, by investing in real estate. And today, I am pumped to have somebody on who's gonna show us how we can do short-term rental properties. He actually used to flip properties, but realized that was way too much work. Let's make more money with short-term Airbnb-type properties. All right, let's start the show. Hey, what's going on, guys? Now, I absolutely love long-term rental properties. But I also know that midterm or mid-length properties like this, six months or so are fantastic, as well as short-term Welcome to the Master Passive property. Income like
1: Podcast, Airbnb where we talk about investing in real estate rental properties with a special focus on making Before enough Airbnb, money so you can quit your RBO. job and live really the dream life. And like now, vacation, here's rental, your host, like Dustin Heiner. But is another uh, of people like to
0: use. But Airbnb is by far one of the best ones that most people use, and what's great is you rent out the house per day as opposed to per month or you know for a year long lease, so you make a lot more money. And that's what hotels do. They make a stinking lot of money because they rent it out per day. And that's something that my expert's coming on today who's gonna show us how we can do it as well. Now this expert is actually gonna be a speaker at the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference that I'm putting on. It'll be in March 10th through the 12th here in beautiful Phoenix. In the winter time, Phoenix is absolutely amazing. And we already have 24 different speakers for this conference, talking everything multifamily to like short-term rental property, like my expert today, to land investing, to passive income, 1031 exchange, all that sort of stuff. Like literally all that stuff is just awesome that we're going to be learning. And on top of that, building a fantastic community of investors. It's not going to be sales pitchy. It's not going to be hype. It's all about helping people networking, communicating, and getting closer and closer together to build a community. Go to rewbcon.com, rubcon.com. Also, ooh, use my promo code. It's easy. It's the word Dustin, my name. Just use the promo code Dustin, and I'll give you $50 off of the ticket because you're a part of my community. We're going to use this, or I'm using this for Master Passive Income Meetup. I had a bunch of students asking me, well, goodness, can we have a meetup, a regular meetup for all the Master Passive Income students that invest in long-term rental property? says, that's a good idea. In fact, let me put on a big conference where we can invite all of these other great speakers who have their own audiences. We are going to invite all of our audiences come together to make a fantastic community. And so, we're going to have a master passive income meetup. We're going to have all of these great speakers, their audiences, and meetups and community and teaching and coaching, all that sort of stuff. It's going to be fantastic. Remember, use the promo code Dustin, D U S T I N, and go to RubeCon.com, R E W B C O N. Dot com and get your ticket right now. It's actually, the price is going to be going up pretty soon. The early bird price is going to be going away. I even have great hotel rates. I even negotiated down the hotel rates and those are actually booking up really, really fast. I'm really happy that people are taking advantage of that. I'm pumped about having you guys learn about short-term rental properties from my expert, who's actually, like I said, is going to be at the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference doing the exact same thing, teaching more about this stuff. So I have Kirby Atwell, who is a fantastic short term rental property expert It's going to teach us how we can have our own short term rental property business. All right, let's do this. Kirby, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Dustin, it is fantastic to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: And you had me on your podcast as well called living off a of rental. So I really enjoyed being on that one too. And how do you provide for yourself and your family without working that dead end J O B?
1: Uh, we live in a tent down by the river. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: now, now we've got, uh, so as you mentioned, uh, we we do short-term rentals. So I've got a business um, that we've built over the last several years, you know, just accumulating uh, vacation rentals, short-term rentals, uh, Airbnbs. And now we're up to 10 in a town nearby. Um, and uh, and that really pays the bills. and And it allowed us to kind of pursue... Our, our next phase of our, our dream of buying some farmland. So we live on 45 acres of farmland that we bought last year. Um, and we're turning the farmland here into, uh, sort of an experiential short-term rental, um, like glamping type site. Um, so we're kind of in the thick of that. We rehabbed the house first and now we're rehabbing a barn out back that my wife's going to have a small antique shop in. And then we've got a residential unit in that as well. And then we'll have Airstream. We bought a couple of Airstreams already that we're, in the process of tr- trying to figure out how to rehab those. We haven't done that yet. Um, and so we'll con- continue to build it out here. But that's that's really what pays our bills.
0: That sounds fantastic because as you're thinking about buying and holding onto something, As opposed to, let's say, flipping houses, which I know you've done in the past, which I quickly want to talk about. Uh, But you literally just hold on to it, and the property does the work for you, as opposed to you putting in work or going to a job and putting in an hour and getting paid for that hour. So I personally love rental property, so uh, it really hits home for me. So what were you doing before and I, I know you've talked a little bit about uh, flipping houses as well, which is a lot of work, but what were you doing before and then got you into being short-term rental properties and all the nervousness and fear of just like, you know, cutting bait and just doing only the short term?
1: Yeah. So I, I kind of, when I was thinking about this show, I was thinking about how I was actually unsuccessfully unemployed initially <laughs> um, at one point. And now I feel like I am, you know, more successfully unemployed, it, it, totally different level of stress. So I uh, graduated from West Point in 2005. And and that's when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, similar to you, you know, and uh, that's how I kind of started on the whole um, investing in real estate train and bought a couple of rentals while I was in the army and then decided in 2011, I was going to get out and I was going to go into it full time and, uh, you know, had no real experience or you know, like like you talked about a paycheck to like pay the bills. I just decided I'm going to figure this out. And we started flipping property. I partnered with two friends from high school and we started a flipping company and it was a little painful. Um, you know, it started off rocky and then we thought, well, if we just do more deals and we do bigger deals, then we're going to make more money. And that's true. The gross revenue continued to increase and we actually made millions of dollars a year we had a staff of 13 people we had an office we you know we grew and we were doing all the things that we thought looked successful for a business owner and then we realized or i realized five years down the road I looked at financials and i'm like i am nowhere closer to financial freedom than when i started this and i thought back to reading rich dad poor dad and that was the whole reason i got into real estate investing in the first place but i had accumulated no assets and all the money that we made we poured right back into the business and so it was this perpetual hamster wheel that we're on and over time we just had to work harder and harder because we're doing more deals and there's more chaos more problems um and so at that point is when i decided you know what if you guys want to keep continuing on with the flipping company, by all means, I said, I've got to do something different. And that's when I started uh, my current company, Greenbed Homes. And I started with long-term rentals initially, and then converted to short-term rentals once I discovered those.
0: Now, that's a huge transition between, obviously, it's in real estate. It's in the realm of real estate, which is great. But when you're flipping, you're not investing. You're literally doing work to get something that is You're hoping the value is gonna go up. You're hoping you buy it right because we know you make your money when you buy the property, you realize it when you actually sell it. And so you're hoping it's gonna go up after all the work that you put into it, all the money that you put into it and sell to somebody else. But transitioning that now to where you're doing long-term or short-term rental properties is so much better because like I said, it literally, the property works for you. I mean, it's just, it's so fantastic. If you can get in that door of getting that first property, the second property comes so much faster and the third comes much faster. Now, Kirby, as you were making that transition, what was the first property, not necessarily like the the terms and everything, but when you got that first property, because you were flipping, but then you had to transition to now getting a long-term one, long-term rental property. And then from there transitioning to, we had multiple into short-term rental property. Talk to us about that process. And if we were to get started and we wanted to get our first, either short or long-term property, what would you suggest is the right way to get started in getting our first property?
1: Yeah, I, well, I found myself after you know five years of being owning my own company, having no job, you know, being my own boss. I found myself right back in the same position. I think a lot of listeners are in where I went back to work. You know, I there was a nonprofit that I was passionate about. In in Chicago, that was you know growing really quickly, and the the guy who started asked me to come on as a COO. So I went back to work while I was building this rental property portfolio. I'm a big supporter of vets, and so I f- found out about this this program where veteran homeless vets could get a voucher. It's called the HUD VASH program, and they can get a voucher and it pays for their rent. And so it's similar to like a Section Eight program, and uh, and so I started rehabbing properties and. And placing homeless veterans in them, um, and that 's how it started and, and the cash flow was pretty good because the program, if you buy in the right area, will pay you above market rents because you 're taking on quite a bit more risk uh, housing a homeless veteran than a qualified tenant you know it, it was still it, it it worked really well because I had the rapport with the veteran i you know we kind of came from the same background and and so that grew while I was living in Chicago or the Chicago area. And then we moved to Northwest Indiana, um, over an hour away and, and it, uh, it, it doesn't work in Northwest Indiana. And it, w- it became very difficult to manage those properties in Chicago. And I tried a couple different property managers and it just wasn't, uh, it was a very management intensive type of investment to, to have. So that's when I discovered, uh, uh, vacation rentals because I realized I don't want to buy like the 1% type rules that you hear about where, you know, you're buying a property and it it's just gonna kick off 1% um, because, you know, I, I want to get out of my job as quickly as I can. You know, I want to have the ability to leave my job, which I think a lot of people can relate to who are listening to this. So um so my wife and I sat down and and we we tried Airbnb in our basement when we first moved over there, we converted our basement, it's a walkout basement to an apartment and it just worked incredibly well. Um, and, and so we decided, you know, if we can scale this and we did some just rough math, we're like, if once we get to eight properties, I would feel very comfortable. I'd be making more than I'm making at my day job. And with all the other stuff that we have going on, um, that that would be, I'd feel fine to to leave, and so, um, so we started just building and, and just one at a time, adding it. We'd we'd buy properties that were a little beat up, and you know, rehab them and add some equity to them, and and they cash flow like crazy. And you know, about a year ago, I, I felt confident again to leave my job in a very different situation where I'm living off passive income. I don't have to go out and do a deal. I'm not in hyper acquisition mode anymore, where I have to get four deals this month or else I can't pay my bills totally different um and so that's kind of how the transition occurred for me
0: that's terrific and i remember for me realizing that man my expenses are literally taken care of now i don't need to work as opposed to needing to work to be able to feed your family and paying for your mortgage and things like that it's it's just amazing to actually have that you know switch in your brain flip like oh wow this is just this is different this is good (laughs) let's do that yeah you almost have
1: like a a uh a nervous twitch or something, like you're doing something wrong, like you should be busy, you should be like going to a job or looking for a new deal. So it's kind of it weird. It took
0: me honestly, Kirby, it took me about three years to eventually get that nervous twitch that you just mentioned yeah. out of my system, because yeah. I would always be thinking, man, I should be doing something right now. But now it's been five or six years now. And I, it's literally out of my brain. Yeah. Now, anything that I do, any business that I create, anything that I'm doing for the future, it's all passive income. It's all how can I get A business built, how can I create passive income, basically not take my time, like work one hour, get paid an hour. So yeah, that's what I'm constantly focusing on now. Okay, so you went from long-term to short-term, but but, I mean, I got to ask the elephant in the room, at least in my brain is, oh my goodness, short-term, let's say for instance, it happens again, which we know it did happen in 2020, March of 2020, everything got shut down for COVID and no traveling, refunds and all that sort of stuff. It was was pretty bad, (laughs) obviously, everybody went through it. Now, how did that affect your Airbnb business, and how did you grow out of that?
1: It's a good question, and I, I think it impacted every
0: short-term rental owner very differently. Some- and hey, guys, get my real estate investing course absolutely for free. Text the word RENTAL, R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777, RENTAL to 33777, and I'll give you, literally give you my real estate investing course showing you how to find an area of the country to invest. How to build the business first, how to scale the business, buy the right properties, making $250 or more every single month in passive income. I'll literally just give it to you. You can get started investing right away. Text the word rental to 33777.
1: You know, we're wiped off the map. I mean, they couldn't sustain a month. And, And pretty much everyone for the month of March, April, you know, was vacant. You know, for people who had these coastal multi-million dollar luxury vacation rentals carrying the cost of that, you know, and a lot of them probably already spent the money that they had in bookings, you know, and so it was very difficult for them to survive. What I always tell people is I'm buying in like very working class areas. I mean, I'm not like people picture vacation rentals and they think you got to be in Hawaii or you got to be on the ski slopes. I'm buying houses that, you know, I could rent as great long-term rentals. And that was kind of the impetus or the the initial idea that I had, it was like, I don't know if this is going to work. I'm testing this out. And so the first one I bought in a local town called Michigan City nearby where I live in Indiana, like I, I negotiated hard on it. And I was like, OK, I'm going to buy something that if if Airbnb just this doesn't you know work out for me. And nobody rents this place. I can sell off the furniture and I can rent it as a, as a great long term rental. And it just took off. I mean, it, it, the booking started pouring in, and I was like, This is great. I got I to gotta scale this. But every property that I've bought so far, if tomorrow the city banned it or uh, COVID number 18 or whatever we're on at this point happens again uh, and shuts everything down, you know, I can just. Flip a switch and convert these into long-term rentals, and they're really nice long-term rentals. I can probably demand more than the the typical market would handle, or I could rent them to nurses, or I could rent them, you know, to on kind of a medium-term basis. And there's some options there. So
0: yeah, one thing that I've heard of, and I w- I actually thought, you know, what it might be interesting to try this whole new term that came up but i just i decided not to and this was before COVID happened but it's a term called rental arbitrage can you talk to us about rental arbitrage and if that's a good idea if that's a bad idea
1: yeah yeah so rental arbitrage is basically you're renting a property as a long-term rental signing a lease at a long-term rate with a landlord and then you take that property and you put it on airbnb and then you rent it on a short-term basis for more money so you keep the spread in between Um, and it's really the same thing as like a property manager. You can, I mean, you can set it up different ways. You could just sign a long-term lease, or some people just say, Hey, I'll pay you a cut of, you know, uh, I'll I'll take 30% and I'll just handle everything and, and you'll get the rest as the landlord. Um, you can set it up a bunch of different ways. And it's a great business. I mean, there's people who have just I mean, killed it. If it fits, what I always tell people is you've got to find the strategy or the business or the investment that fits your personality. And so for some people it really does, like that's that's what they want to do, but to me that's another job. I mean, that's I'm accountable to all these owners and landlords and I've got to manage this property, you know, and and it's it just seems like a lot of work. And and then you're not getting the a lot of the big bonus uh um income that comes from owning vaca- or owning you rentals own in it. general. Yeah, exactly. So you don't get the appreciation, you don't get the tax write-offs, you don't get yep. all these things that really in the long run, those are the things- that you know, as the principal is being paid down,
0: huge Yeah,
1: you're you're making so much more beyond just the cash flow. So I actually don't do any of that. I was tempted. There's been several people who have asked me, "Can you manage mine? I'll buy it." And you know, you just sort of that the rental arbitrage model. And I had to do some soul searching and decided, you know what? I just I like my life the way it is. I like not being accountable. I don't to like to. Life. I
0: like to not yeah. answer anybody. Too exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. So and so on I top do, of that. Yeah, I'll quickly add on top ahead, of that, yeah. you're also having to fork out a lot of money to furnish the property, and those are depreciating, quote unquote, assets, yeah. not assets, the liabilities. Like, obviously, you're making a little money on it, but over time, they're going to be broken down. You got to replace it. That's a, let's say a $5,000 to, um, you know, outfit an entire house. And so it's a in, in the end, you don't own anything other than the furniture, which you eventually get thrown away. So I'm not a big fan of it. And so I, I know of a lot of people that got hurt really, really bad when when now your instance with Airbnb and being able to do the long term, totally different. When you're doing rental arbitrage, where you're just, you know, borrowing somebody's property, paying them a monthly uh lease payment, and then trying to rent it out a little higher, that's a recipe for disaster, especially if something bad happens again. Okay, so from the let's go back to the short-term rental property. once we have one property, is it as easy as opening an account to Um, Airbnb, or should we also look at VRBO? Like, how do we now, we have a property, how do we now start getting people in there so we start renting it out on a, let's say, daily, you know, like short term rental property?
1: So, I I teach actually a a program where I teach people how to get their first vacation rental and I walk them through the step by step process. And this question comes up a lot. Like, a lot of people feel like they should be on all platforms and that they're going to get more bookings as a result. Right now, there's this huge differential between supply and demand in the vacation rental space. After COVID, a lot of people stopped using hotels. Um, they, you know, they didn't want to stay in hotels with shared walls. And so they started renting on Airbnb. People like my parents, who previously had never rented on Airbnb. And now they won't rent on anything but Airbnb. They won't go back to hotels because you can get a whole beautiful house for the same price as a hotel. There's way more users, and every year it just keeps climbing. And so what I recommend to people is just put it on Airbnb initially, because that is the elephant in the room. That is, they have the mass market share. I mean, they, it, it's just the amount of property, like I think it's all the other uh, major hotel companies combined don't have the same revenue as Airbnb just wow. by itself. And and it's, it's crazy how much uh, market share they have. So you know, to think that well, I'm not going to get bookings on Airbnb by itself is is a little silly when you look at the size that it is. Um, and also, what you're doing on Airbnb is you're building a name for yourself. So every time somebody stays, they leave you a review, and it's just like Amazon. When you go to Amazon and you try to decide on a product, the first thing you're looking at is the star rating and the customer reviews. It's the exact same with Airbnb. So you want to build up those reviews on one platform, not spread it out. And then you know you also build a name as a super host, and um, and, it, and it just gets your property ranked higher. So when when you're starting with your first one, I just recommend just putting it on Airbnb, and then as you grow bigger, you know now we have a property management platform that kind of sits in the middle, and we just make changes on that, and then it pushes it out to other platforms. So we are on multiple platforms, but it's the same amount of work because we have sort of a middle uh, software that. That pushes all the same change. I don't have to go to five different platforms and make changes to a pricing or anything like that. You know, but that's I don't think it's worthwhile to pay for something like that with your first vacation rental.
0: Yeah, especially when you could do it yourself. And if you're just putting on Airbnb, like you said, that has the demand. The people are literally there. And so, why would you really? Why'd you make it harder on yourself? Just put it on Airbnb. Which I traveled through Europe in 2018. Yeah, it was 2018. Went six weeks through Europe, eleven different countries, and. 95% of the stays were at an Airbnb all over the, those countries. Rarely was it in a hotel. It's just probably because couldn't find one, an Airbnb, and then just the hotel was either the right price or something. But it was so much better doing an Airbnb. And in 2017, I went to Japan, six weeks in Japan, Airbnb the entire way. And so it's just, yeah, it's fantastic to use that. Now, the biggest reason why I see utilizing short-term rental properties is you're renting it out per day. As opposed to per month or per year, you know, like a yearly lease, long-term lease. Now, talk to us about the expenses that are going to come from having a short-term rental property, but then also it offsets with making more money. So, talk to us a little bit about the numbers of having a short-term rental property. It's
1: funny. I actually just posted because I was reviewing, you know, our performance on Airbnb recently, and um, I just posted in the Living Off Rentals group about comparing the exact same property. So, we we own a split-level property in Michigan City, and and this is. Our best performing property of, of the 10, but um, it's just an average split level. It's not like this is like a luxury vacation rental or anything like that. In our slowest month, November, uh, we we made, it was uh, right around $3,400 um, on this property that would rent for $1,500 as a long-term rental. Um, so I bought it for 75000 75, a few years ago. We had to do a massive rehab. It was a $100,000 rehab because it was like a hoarder type house. I mean, it was it was a big one. In our slowest month, we just made over thirty two hundred dollars, and we're already booked at over fifty two hundred dollars with eleven days in in, oh, wow. uh, in July. That's our high, our our busiest month. So we're gonna make if if everything books up in July, which. I would anticipate it would because we're already booked with eleven days and it's November now. Uh, it'll make over twelve grand on a property that will rent for fifteen hundred dollars long term. Um, now that's not just any property. You go out and buy just a random property on the, the corner of the street, and you you, you know you're going to make eight times as much on Airbnb. But it's pretty common to make two, three, four times as much. And so you you know you you are going to have the extra expenses. You are going to have utilities. You're going to have grass cutting, snow removal. Um, you're going to have, um, you know, um, what are some of the others that that tenants typically pay? Uh, oh, cleaning fees. You're going to have consumables, you know, the internet, toilet paper. Yeah. Internet. Um, so, so, you know, you definitely do have more expenses, but when you look at potentially, th- you know, two, three to eight times as much, of gross revenue, you're making drastically more as a short-term rental. And a lot of times on the exact same property, we really didn't do anything different to this property that other than furnish it um, than we would if it was a long-term rental.
0: Man, that's that's fantastic. And I know that there, it is a little bit ex- more expensive with property management. Now, turning over a property, I always get a little more like, not says, necessarily say concerned, but like just that thought of like, oh man, well, because my long-term rental properties, I literally don't do anything, and I tenants move maybe once every two years, three years. I get it's yeah. so it, there's no there's nothing going on. But if you have it to turn over every day or two days or even like four or five days, that's some work you gotta have to do. Plus, see if you're gonna have somebody manage a the property, they're gonna be paying more. You know, normal rental properties ten percent. Property management fee, this might be 20, 25 percent, even more yeah. or more. so talk to us about that uh, you know making sure that we have a, a really good property that we get five stars or four or five stars you know get good reviews, but then also how we manage it well.
1: I, I think this is probably what holds most people back from getting into vacation rentals is, is there's this impression that you know that you see on the news, you watch the news, and the only thing they talk about on Airbnb is the cities that are getting um, banned and then the parties. You know, and <laughs> I, I I talk to a lot of Airbnb owners and most of them say if you run it just halfway intelligently, like we don't let anyone automatically book unless they have previous five star reviews because you can't fake a five star review unless you've stayed somewhere and they give you a five star review. A lot of people turn that off and they just let anyone book. So if I'm a scammer, I'm going to go to the low hanging fruit. And I'm not going to even bother with the people who actually are going to screen a little bit. So we just do a little bit of screening. We'll still let people stay if they don't have reviews, but they have to put down a deposit. We have to have a discussion first. Um, and we have about one out of 100 that are bad guests. Um, and, and even with bad guests, we haven't had any like rager parties or anything like that. But we've had somebody who smoked weed all night in the property. And then the next uh. day it smelled like <laughs> weed, you know. Um, so that's like the bad guests. But the vast majority, the other night. 99% are just nice families coming to stay for a weekend. And then we have instructions by the door saying, can you strip the beds afterwards? Please wash all your dishes afterwards. Like they do all these things that leave it in a really nice condition. And then we have our house clean multiple times a week. So I'm a little OCD when it comes to the properties. And when I had long-term rentals, you know, especially with the more challenging, um, tenants you know that are the, the homeless veterans that might not um that are going through something. You know, there there's a reason why they became homeless and, and they might not take care of the property as well as as others. A year later when their their you know lease is up and they're moving out, I'd have to rehab that property over again. But now my properties stay in tip top condition. And and there's the occasional you know touch up of of different things here and there, but we can go in between guests, our handyman Will just show up and they'll fix a lock or they'll touch up the wall or whatever, and they just stay really, really nice. And so I love that about vacation rentals.
0: That's great, and I love having systems in my rental property business for long term. How do you create systems to make sure that things seem? Because all those things, same things that you just mentioned, you have to have something in place to say, okay, this did happen. Let's get it fixed. How do you create a system, or is there a process, or? What do you do about having a system to make sure these things get done without you always having to go walk through the property, and make sure things get done?
1: I, I'm the same way. I, I, systems are huge. And I, you know, a lot of people assume when they're first getting into it is I need a property manager. And like you said, it's typically 25, 30% of your gross revenue that you're paying to a property manager. So you can kind of justify it on the first one when you're looking at the difference in cash flow, you're like, wow, I'm still making a decent money even after paying that. But once you look at 10 of them, and if you think about what I just said, the numbers were for my gross numbers in July on one property, let's say, even though they're not all making that much, that's, you know, could be six figures in one month. And so if I'm going to pay 30% of that, that could be $30,000 that I'm paying to a property manager for one month. And they, you know, they're not really like, I can do what they're doing. I could have hired a whole team of staff to to do what they're oh, doing. Yeah. So. Get so employees what we do, and they're
0: doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: exactly. So I'm a big advocate for self-management and really it all boils down to two people. It's your cleaners and your handymen. I have really great cleaners in place um, and we compensate them well um, and we take care of them and and they're super reliable, but we have backup you know, uh, redundancy so that you're not relying on one cleaner to do all the properties. And then that the handy person, you know, they're we pay him 15 bucks an hour and they do pretty much everything. I mean, goes, the guy goes and cuts the grass. Uh, It's a a 20 year old kid in the, I call him a kid, you know, he's in the national guard. Um, And he, you know, he's worked construction in high school and he's really handy. And so, you know, he just wants to work as many hours as he can. And so he'll go fix little things here and there. If it's something bigger than he can handle, he'll call the plumber and bring in the plumber and have them do it or whoever he needs to bring in. And so, Um, so most of that, like we'll have turnovers, like right now we have turnovers, several turnovers today, and I'm not involved in any of that. You know, I'm, I'm notified if there's something that, that needs to be, you know, bigger than what the, the cleaners or the handyman can, can handle, but, um, it's very rare.
0: So are these people, W2 employees or contractors like piece, they would go out for a day to clean and that's when they get paid
1: contractors. Yep. Yep. All my whole team is all uh, contractors paid based on the the amount of hours they work, or the cleaning crew is is clean paid based on the house. So it's most of them are, are right around a hundred dollars. Um, if it's a bigger house, you know it can be up to two hundred bucks.
0: What market are you currently investing in?
1: I was super intentional about choosing one specific market to be in to start with, because I wanted to have the economies of scale and I wanted to build my team to be able, I, I can drive between my properties within five minutes and visit all of them within an hour. Um, and and it's just worked out really well. And so I'm I'm an advocate for, for that type of investing initially, because a lot of people will say, well, all your eggs are in one basket. And I agree, but I also think that there's more risk in spreading yourself out super thin to start with. So I'm in Michigan City, which is uh, right on the border of Indiana and Michigan. It's right
0: on Lake Michigan. I think you're really wise to, to have your, when they say all your eggs in one basket. So when I'm coaching and teaching people, because a lot of people say, well, I got to this many properties. At what point do I start looking for a brand new city or a new area to invest in? And my suggestion is it really depends on your risk tolerance. Now, if you have 30 properties in one city and one property manager, well, that's literally all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was probably about 12 properties. I started thinking, I should start branching out to a new area, because the first area, I mean, it it's really a lot of work to build up a business, a good successful real estate investing business, and buy one house, and then move on and do it all over again. Like, yeah. well, I just, why not build up your inventory, get a few properties, five, 10 properties, and then once that's going and what's great about real estate, it just keeps like we have systems in place. It keeps working without you. Then you could start building a whole nother area, then start moving over. So, yeah, that's that's a, a good point. And I really appreciate how you have them close together because a lot of my properties, I have, like cities. And so I in mm-hmm. one city, I'll have them fairly close together, like one zip code. And so if I ever go there, which I never do, I never go yeah. <laughs> where my properties are now. But you have them in a zip code. So if you fly in there, you're not driving three hours all over the entire city. So I love that. Now, Kirby, you gave us so much great insights. Let's jump into the rapid fire round. Now, the rapid fire round, it's where the questions are short, but your answers don't have to be. First question is, what is one bit of advice that I might have overlooked or something that that like a, a problem that came up in your investing that you learned, a like lesson learned? For So is there something else that we might have missed that we should know about short term investing?
1: Yeah, I think one one of the the biggest things that I impress upon people, I think the most that I think was part of the reason that I lost five years of my life flipping as opposed to, you know, getting right into into rentals or vacation rentals, is getting super super clear on the outcome that you're after before you start. Um, I I don't think people do this enough and don't even realize that they're not doing this. What they're doing, what a lot of people do, is they'll pay attention to people on Facebook or people you know, like this episode and say, well, I want to be in vacation rentals and, and they'll start to pursue something and go down that, that trail or that road. And, and they haven't even thought about why, you know, and maybe vacation rentals don't make sense for them, you know? And, and so I, I talk about first getting clear on what do you want your life to look like five years down the road? Um, that's how we ended up in this spot where I get to work from home and we're living on a you know, a farm that that we love and we've got chickens out back and the kids, you know, like we got the, chickens
0: too, man. That's yeah. great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. We we love it. Uh, this lifestyle, but it was purposeful. We never would have just ended up living this type of lifestyle that, that we absolutely love. So figure out what you want your life to look like and then kind of backwards plan. And how does the business that you're creating play into that? And for me, vacation rentals just made all the sense in the world, I didn't do this with flipping. I just thought if I just flip enough and make enough money, I'll be rich and everything will work itself out. Everybody, and five that. years <laughs> later, yeah, five years later, there I was like miserable thinking, What did I do wrong here? So, uh, so start with that and keep that at the forefront of every because you're going to wake up in the morning and you have a million options of things you can do. So, how do you make the decision of what's the right thing to do? Well, it's based on
0: the outcome that you've already decided upon. So what's going to get you to that outcome the quickest? I love that. That's, that's fantastic. And it could be many other things. It could be starting a business. It could be writing books, whatever it might be, figuring out what your why is and where your destination is. I love that. That's a great idea. Okay, so what is one bit of advice that you would give your younger self?
1: When I was in the army, uh, I was kind of, uh, initially I was assigned to this unit in El Paso, Texas, um, and it was pretty miserable. Uh, <laughs> I didn't enjoy it at all. A lot, most of the units, when I showed up, most of the units had deployed to the middle East and this unit had been held back. And it, so it was a lot of people that couldn't deploy because of, uh, issues they had with the law or health issues or whatever. So it was a, a rough crew that we were working with. And so we were getting ready. This unit was training up to go to Korea. Um, and it was, we we're going to go to a, a part of Korea that was not very desirable. And I was super fortunate that there was a general in Hawaii that reached out and said he was in charge of all the air defense in, in the, the Pacific. And he reached out to, to our unit and said, hey, I need a uh, several different lieutenants to interview for my aid. So every general has an aide that kind of almost like their assistant. And so I didn't know anything about it, but I interviewed and he told me a day later, he said, jump on a plane and get out here to Hawaii, pack up your stuff because you're going to be my aide." So I was super fortunate to get that job. And at that job, I was at a headquarters unit. He was in charge of all the air defense in the Pacific. So we would travel around to all these different uh, sites throughout the Pacific where we had missiles and radars and stuff. And I got the, the opportunity to get a lot of advice from very high up people. He was a one-star general, eventually made two stars and, uh, yeah. And there was a ton of colonels and the, you know, guys that have served their whole life in the military and they were giving me advice. And these guys were great guys, but I had this realization at one point that I was taking advice or listening to this advice from people that I didn't want my life to turn out like theirs. You know, Mm -hmm. they were, they, you know, they were successful. Like, you know, most people traditionally would say you should take advice from them. They've done, You know, they've had a very successful military career and they were telling me how to have a very successful military career, but I realized that I wanted to start something of my own. And so I think most people will just take advice from someone who's traditionally considered quote unquote successful instead of looking at do I want my life to be just like theirs? And so I wish earlier on I would have had the advice to seek out people that you want your life to look like. And it's hard to do because. There's not a lot of people out there that you probably that have the same vision as you, but um but it's it it will help tremendously so a lot of people, if you have a boss or you have a friend that's giving you advice, think about that like do you want your life to turn out like them, and if not, maybe seek out a new mentor that's
0: fantastic advice and if you were thinking about or if you would think about having three people that have a map. They're starting in one location somewhere, let's say starting in New York and three people have three different maps. One, And you know you want to get to Disneyland that's in Los Angeles or Anaheim, you know, in California, not the one in Florida, not anywhere like Tokyo or something like that, but you want to go there and you get all three people and they all point to a specific Disneyland or some location, but you take each one of the maps and you're like, well, I could just start taking, just pick one and just take, go down that map By the end, you might get in the wrong destination. Like you don't even want to be there. You need to find the right one, the right directions, the right map, the right person that's going to get you in the direction you want to go. So I think that's brilliant advice. Okay, so what is one nonfiction book that you would recommend that we should read? It could be business or life or anything like that.
1: Uh, I actually read, two recent books that are game changers if if you're getting into um into real estate at all so this one actually i've got right here that's not even out yet um it's called profit first for real estate investing so i think most people or not most people but probably a lot of people have read profit first it's a very popular book Um, great system but it's very difficult to implement just from the original book for real estate investors. So David Richter, uh, actually, this book isn't even out yet. It's released next week. He sent me an advance copy. He was just on my podcast and I ate up this book. It is awesome. If you struggle with finances at all, definitely read this book. Um, And then the other one is Effortless by Greg McKeown. Um, So he wrote uh, Essentialism several years ago, which blew up. Effortless, I love. It's just a perfect mindset book for success and doing things. The effort effortless way so he, he it it's just a great book so I, I highly recommend both those books
0: yeah I' I've, I've, I haven't actually read profit first but I know of it I know it's really good I know a lot of people speak about it and I was interviewing somebody his name is Rocky Lavani on successful Unemployed employed show and he was talking about profit first and I was explaining my business model he's all you already do profits first like from back when he started in yeah. 2006 because I always said the only goal was making $250 a month. And I make sure that every property that I buy, that's already accounted for. He'll, that's profit first. Now, obviously there's a lot more nuances and everything to do it right. I'm like, but as soon as he told me that, I was like, huh. That's why I don't have to work because I literally (laughs) have my income. Exactly,
1: yeah.
0: Oh, man. So Kirby, man, you give us so much great advice. And I know you have courses and you also show people how to do the short-term and stuff. So how can somebody either find that or find you and listen to your podcast and find you online?
1: I have uh, a podcast I just had uh, Yuan, you were right after Robert Kiyosaki. He was episode number 100. Um, and it's Living Off Rentals podcast. Um, and I've just had a ton of fun doing that. I've got a YouTube channel with the same name, Living Off Rentals. Um, the only paid offering that I have is this program where I walk people through step-by-step exactly how to get their first vacation rental. So if people want more information about that, you can go to livingoffrentals.com backslash webinar. And I walk through my three-part process for doing that. Um, but yeah, other than that, just, I mean, there's a ton of free content on the Living Off Rentals platform. So you can check it out.
0: That's great. I was also checking out your YouTube channel. So everybody, you should check out Kirby's YouTube channel as well as his podcast. So Kirby, it's been awesome having you on the show. Thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate you. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. And that is it for today. Go ahead and get my free real estate investing course. Text the word rental to 33777. R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. You can also join my Real Estate Wealth Builders group coaching, get all my courses. All right, guys, we'll see you in the next show. See ya.